This morning we're going to be continuing our series on God-centered community by looking at Exodus chapter 6. Is there a problem? It's all right. Uh, And this uh, talk is entitled The God of His People. And today we are in for a treat. Is it my hair? This microphone is designed for large, bald-headed men. (laughs) God has blessed me with hair. Okay, today we're in for a treat because today we get to look at Exodus chapter 6, which is a fantastic moment in the history of the Israelites and as it turns out in our history too. It's this amazing moment where God reveals himself to be a God who wants to know us, a God who wants to be in community with us, a God who calls us out of slavery to be his very own. What a privilege. But before we get to those lofty heights, we've got to remember that we left Moses last week at the end of chapter 5 having a very bad day. Moses couldn't understand what he'd done wrong. He'd done everything God had said. He'd gone in to see Pharaoh. He'd said the right words. And yet Pharaoh has not let the Israelites go. In fact, he's doubled their workload And he has turned them against Moses. Moses is like, God, I told you I was the wrong man for the job. I told you this wasn't going to work. I told you it was going to go wrong. Where were you, God? Why didn't you show up? Or this is what it says in the Bible. Lord, why have you caused trouble for this people? And why did you ever send me? Ever since I went into Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has caused trouble for this people and you haven't rescued your people at all. Before we begin to read God's beautiful response to Moses in his doubt, it's worth noting that we can feel like this about community, can't we? We can feel like we are doing everything right. We've got a welcome team. We've got community groups. We've got toddler groups. We've got countless initiatives. We've got a welcome lunch today. And yet still, we have people on the fringes. Still, we have people who feel unwelcome. And still, we have people who've been here for a number of years and don't feel connected in. So what is God's response to Moses? Well, it is a beautiful response. We're going to read a good chunk of it here because it's so wonderful. And we'll dip in a bit more as we go through the morning. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. 
Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Listen to this. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we sense that you are here with us this morning. And we say we want more of who you are. We want to know more of who you are. We want to know more of you in our lives. Will you come and speak to us this morning about who you are? Amen. God says some amazing things in this passage in the face of Moses' doubts and in the face of our doubts and difficult situations. In fact, God says three things, I think. God says in this passage, I have. I have heard your cry. God says, I am. I am going to be with you. And God says, I will. I will rescue you. I will help you. I have. I am. I will. And we're going to unpack those this morning as we think about God-centered community. So first of all, I have. Twice in this passage, God says, I have. I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll read a news story and it will just break me. Sometimes I'll read a story that just seems so awful, so much suffering that I cannot comprehend how a good God doesn't intervene. I'm sure lots of us feel this way about what's going on in Ukraine. And sometimes I cry out to God, how could you just stand by and watch? Where are you? Can't you hear? Just like Moses asks at the end of chapter five. And it's okay to ask God questions like this. And sometimes I feel like God answers me by saying, Becky, how you feel about this situation is just a drop in the ocean compared to how I feel about it. Where do you think your compassion has come from, Becky? You see, far from our reaction to suffering being a reason to doubt the existence of God, it's actually evidence for his existence. If there is no God, if we aren't made in his image, if we don't carry something of who he is, then why do we care what happens to someone on the other side of the street, let alone the globe? Amy or Ewing in her book, Where is God in All the Suffering, says this, our cries for justice and even for judgment carry with them the echoes of the Christian story. If we were made for love, if life has a transcendent source, if God's good image marks every human being, and if we have marred this world and each other with our choices, it is no surprise that we feel anger and even outrage when we experience evil. This is not how things are meant to be. Moses is quite rightly angry and upset at the suffering of his people, the Israelites. Quite rightly, he wants to rescue them and see them delivered from this situation. And God is saying to him here very clearly, I have heard you. I am listening. I have not forgotten you. I have remembered my promise. 
The Israelites are in a state of despair in this passage. I wonder if you've ever looked at the church in our nation or even at aspects of our own church, of the way we struggle sometimes to build God-centered community and have felt despair. God is saying to us this morning, I have heard, I am listening, I have remembered, and I am coming to help. Well, that's great, I hear you cry, but how is he going to help us? What is he going to do? Well, let's find out, shall we? Let's move on to the God who says, I am. Five times in this passage, God tells Moses, I am the Lord. God said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. God's response to Moses in his despair, in his anger, in his questioning, is not to get cross with him or tell him how wrong he is. His response is to draw close to him because he knows that's what Moses needs. That's what we all need, right? God is saying to Moses here, you are gonna know me better than Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. You are gonna know me as Yahweh. That's what this word, the Lord, means here. I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, the eternal one, the one who doesn't change, Yahweh. I'm gonna make myself more known to you, Moses, than anyone who's gone before you. I'm going to make myself more known to you despite your inadequacies and despite the fact that I know you're going to get it wrong over and over. Then he goes on to say this most beautiful of things in verse 7. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. I will take you as my own people. Wow, like what a privilege. The God of the whole universe is gonna take a guy who hasn't learned how to trust God yet, as we'll see in a minute, and a whole bunch of trodden down slaves to be his own people. I will take you as my own people. Why? Why does God want them? In Jeremiah, many years later, when the Israelites had been nothing but trouble to God, he says this to them, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued to extend faithful love to you. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Isn't that beautiful? He loves them. Isn't it incredible that in the face of the Israelites' suffering, God's answer was community, was relationship, was love. And it still is. Amy or Ewing, last time I'll quote her, also says this, where is God in all our suffering and pain? God does not stay far off and observe our suffering from a distance. He himself has come. God suffers with us, but ultimately, God suffered at the cross for us. God's answer to suffering, God's answer to our problems, was to come right down to us in the person of Christ, to experience our suffering and then die the death that should have been ours. 
That's Christianity in a nutshell, isn't it? That's the message. That's our hope. That though we mess up time and time again, that though the things we do wrong separate us from a holy God, Jesus came to take all the consequences for that wrongdoing by dying in our place on a cross. And by doing so, he removed every single barrier between us and God. The way is clear for us to know God. All we have to do is believe in him, is take that up. God called the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt to know him. And he calls us out of slavery to sin to know him. But what is so astounding is that we live in a time where we can know God more closely than Moses or anyone in the Old Testament. In Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament, there's a list of some of the biblical heroes and all that they accomplished by faith. It mentions Isaac and Moses and Rahab and people like David and Samuel. And then in verse 39, it says this incredible thing. It says, these people were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. What? God rescued Moses and the Israelites from slavery. They saw him do incredible things. He provided a beautiful land flowing with milk and honey. And yet Hebrews is saying they didn't receive what had been promised. We've received something better. Nobody in the Old Testament, even though God revealed himself to them, even though he called them to be his own people, none of them can know God like we can. Their sin stood in the way. In the Old Testament, people were trying to be good enough for God, even though they could never manage it. None of them lived in a time like we do, where everything that was being promised had come to pass in Jesus. We live in a time where Jesus has been good enough for us. We live in a time where we aren't just God's people, we're his sons and his daughters. For through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus, it says in Galatians. For those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Isn't that incredible? We live in a time where we can know God as closely as a child knows their parent. I want to say to you this morning, you can know God as closely as you want to. You could know him better with Moses, uh, the Moses if you want, if you pursue him. You are free to walk as closely with God as you want to. And if you aren't a Christian yet, then you can take that first step today of saying, yes, Jesus, I want to know you. You can talk to someone afterwards. Anyone here would be absolutely over the moon to help you with that. Now, it might sound obvious, but we can't and won't have a God-centered community if we aren't pursuing God, right? You want to help us build community here? Pursue God. Pursue him as if your life depended on it. Read the Bible, pray, worship, listen to him, gather with others to do the same. Run after holiness. And if you stumble, get back up and keep on running. Paul says this in Corinthians in the message version. I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got. No sloppy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. Why do we want to have God-centered community here? 
Why do we want to catch God's heart for this? Because God is choosing to use the local church to spread his glory. He's choosing to use community to draw close to the lost. He's choosing the local church to be his eyes and his ears, his hands and his feet. Community is his vehicle for justice and mission. Through Jesus, the local church is the hope for our towns and cities and nation and the world. This is a matter of life and death. We can become so lulled to sleep by our comfortable lives, by the culture around us, that we forget we're in a battle. Jonathan was talking about this last week. Not against flesh and blood, not against each other, but a battle to advance God's kingdom, to save the lost. This is our purpose, right? A people with a purpose are a people united. People with a purpose are a people united. We want to be functioning together as a team. We want to be the best we can so we can fight as hard as we can. We want to be a well-oiled machine working with one accord for his glory, for his fame. And so those who don't know him see that he is God. We are living in a unique moment in history where people are lacking in and desperate for community and ultimately for God. The question is, if they walked through these doors, would they find it? We've got to do everything we can to make sure that they would. We've got to give our lives for this cause. The Christian life isn't meant to be easy. No one ever said that. But it is meant to be full of purpose, full of adventure, full of each other, full of Jesus. So when I asked the question at the end of the last point, how is God going to help us? He is going to help us by being with us, by revealing more and more of who he is to us. But we've got to pursue him. We've got to long for him. We've got to run towards him with everything we've got. So God says, I have, I have heard your cry. And he also says, I am, I am with you. I am Yahweh. And lastly, he says, I will. Eight times in the NIV version, God says to Moses, I will. I will do, I will bring, I will free, I will redeem, I will take, I will be, I will bring, I will give. Come on, he is the God who will. Then God said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. At the beginning of Exodus, when Moses was a young prince with the weight of a fabulous education behind him, he thought he could rescue the Israelites. He thought God wanted him to do it. That was his motivation behind killing the Egyptian right at the beginning of Exodus, do you remember? And trying to gather the Israelites. He thought he was somebody. And then when that all went wrong and he spent 40 years in the desert looking after his father-in-law's sheep, he realized he was a nobody. He went from thinking he was somebody to realizing he was nobody, but who he thought about God hadn't changed. What he thought about God hadn't changed at all. So when God shows up in a burning bush, Moses says, oh no, I can't do it. He still thinks it's about him and his ability. And God is graciously and kindly in this passage saying to Moses, Moses, it's not about you. 
It's about me. I will rescue the Israelites. I will bring them out of Egypt. I will change the heart of a Pharaoh. It's not about you, Moses. It's my mighty hand that will accomplish this, not yours. D.L. Moody says this, Moses spent his first 40 years thinking he was a somebody. He spent his second 40 years learning he was a nobody. He spent his last 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. I wonder where you are on that journey. Do you think you're somebody? Have you learned you're a nobody? Or are you discovering what God can do with a nobody? It's so countercultural, that concept, isn't it? Our society tells us you are somebody. But actually, it is so releasing, so comforting to know that you are nobody in the hands of somebody who can do all things. Now, let's not make the same mistake as Moses here as we try to build God-centered community. We can easily fall into the trap of thinking we are the ones who've got to get a 10-step program going on to get God-centered community in place. No preaching series in the world can accomplish this task. What we need is God to do it. This is what Kate was talking about earlier when she brought her word. It's about God. God is going to do it. We can't. He can. And that's the same for any difficult situation we face in life. God speaks over us. He will sort it out. He will help us. He will accomplish what we couldn't possibly hope to do. Now, that's not to say we don't have a role to play. Moses had a role to play. And last week, Jonathan gave us some very practical suggestions of how to play that role. If you haven't listened to his sermon from last week, I'd encourage you to do so. But we need to remember it's God who's going to accomplish this amongst us. Amen. We can see that Moses has made another mistake in this passage too. And I'm sorry to say it's a mistake I often make in my relationship with God and in my marriage. Let me explain it to you like this. So my husband, John, and I, we've been married for 20 happy years, but we find marriage really hard. We really genuinely do. And one of the things that causes tension in our marriage is that John and I have very different soundtracks to our lives, particularly if we're trying to get out the door to go somewhere or when we're thinking about parenting. So the soundtrack to my life goes like this. That's my soundtrack. I just get out my violin for John's, right? His soundtrack goes... Like that. And uh, so as you can imagine, this has caused a little bit of tension in our marriage. Because I'm like, if we have to be somewhere at a certain time, in my mind, it is life or death that we must do everything we can to be there early, preferably, at the very latest five minutes before we're meant to be there, right? And I would do anything to make that happen. But John is like, that time is just a guideline. And we, we must not stress about it. And so over the years, obviously, we have made a little bit of progress, and I have to apologize a lot, and he has to apologize a lot. We've learned, we have learned a bit. But a few years ago, I came across this quote, this old African proverb, which says this, you can go fast alone or far together. You can go fast alone or far together. And I thought, oh, do I want speed at the expense of togetherness? 
God reveals in this passage that he is more concerned with relationships than results, with community than the easy road, whereas Moses reveals that he's more concerned with results. You haven't rescued your people at all, he shouts at God at the end of chapter five. But God wants to go far with him, not fast. Let's remember this as we try to build community. It's not about results. It's not about speed. It's about togetherness. We will go much further together, even though it's hard, than we could ever go alone. Let's also notice that God promises all this to Moses after Moses has been vulnerable with him. After Moses has poured out his skepticism, his anger and sin before him, then God says to him, I will take you as my own people. Nikki Gumbel says this, we may impress people by our strengths, but we connect with them through our vulnerability. If there isn't room in our Sunday morning meeting and in our community and when we meet with others for vulnerability, for being real, for making mistakes, then there isn't room for connection. I put it to you that we need to be better at being vulnerable with each other about our weaknesses, about our lives. We need to be better at asking for help. We're all a bit too middle class sometimes, aren't we? Lastly, before we conclude, we can see that I have missed uh, a bit out of this passage, if you've got your Bibles open. I've missed out the genealogy. Now, I know that whenever we see one of these, we inwardly groan, uh, but they are in the Bible for many good reasons, aren't they? And I just wanted to mention one. So this is obviously a genealogy of um, Aaron and and Moses. Um, But what it shows us is the importance of investing in the next generation. This is a list of a family who have passed down a love for God from generation to generation. Psalm 145 says this, One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. It's so important if we want to see God's church being built, if we want to see God's centered community growing, that we invest in each other, that we encourage one another, that we pass our passion and knowledge and joy of who Jesus is to each other and to the next generation. I've spoken a lot this morning about Moses' mistakes, but let's remember that ultimately Moses didn't give up. He listened to God, he followed God wherever he went, and he did his best to pass on his passion for holiness to the next generation, to Joshua in particular. Moses was really intentional about this. Let's do the same. So, we're coming into land. As we have seen in this passage, God is a God who says, I have. I have heard you. I have seen your struggles. He's the God who says, I am. I am Yahweh. I am with you. And he's the God who says, I have. No, he's the God who says, I will. I will rescue you. I will redeem you. I will help you. I have. I am. I will. And he speaks those three things over every situation in our lives. He speaks those three things over Ukraine this morning. He speaks those three things over this church and over our struggles in building community. I have seen. I am coming. I will help you. It's so simple, isn't it? Yet so profound, really. Time and again in our hopeless situations, God shows up and loves us through it.
And you know what you discover as you walk through life by his side? That it's actually in the mess and in the difficulty and in the hardship that we grow to be more like him, that we get to know him better. In the end, we realize we are so grateful for the challenges because the challenges lead us to him. And it's the same with building community here. It's the challenges that will bind us together. It's the challenges that will lead us to each other and to him. Really, community is not as complicated as we make it out to be. Really, it's about these three things I've been talking about this morning. It's about listening to each other, spending time with each other, being real with each other like Moses was with God, drawing alongside each other, helping each other and pursuing God with each other. With God, we can do that. He can do that in our community. We just need to be intentional about it. I believe in my spirit that God is going to be moving across our community in the coming weeks and months. I believe, I believe he's going to do a great work among us. He's a God of abundance. He's the God of the double portion. I keep having dreams recently. I have about six or seven dreams where God is saying to me, I am the God of abundance and I am going to be pouring out a double portion on my church, on Hope Church and on the church in this nation. We are his people. He is going to knit us together into a mighty army for his glory, for our good and to bring the lost home. Amen. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to hand over to Luke, who's going to lead us in a time of response. Lord God, we want to say to you that we have tried and tried to build community here. We've done everything right, God, and yet still, still we're lacking in this area. And God, we're saying, please, will you come and do a work amongst us? God, we know that we need you to do it. We know that we can't, but you can. Will you come and will you fill us with your Holy Spirit? And will you knit us together, Lord God? Will you give us a heart full of purpose? A heart that says, I know where we're going. I want to reach the lost. I want to save the lost. I want to join together with others. Lord God, will you come and give us a passion for your name, a passion to see you glorified in our nation? Lord God, will you come and do what we couldn't possibly hope to do? We cry out to you this morning. We say we need you. We want you. We love you. It's all about you. God, help us not to make the same mistakes as Moses. Help us to say, yes, God, we want to partner with who you are. We want to partner with you. We want to get on board with what you're doing because we know it's you who will accomplish this, not us. Amen.